This is uh, Joshua Bell and the Kilt and the Cloth as we start our new Bible study on the book of James. So uh, just to kind of talk a little bit about the book of James. Um, historically, we know that the book of James, let's see what it says. Uh, was most likely written in uh, later on. Um, we want to say around 62 CE. Uh, come on in, Ted, you're good. Um, which is a kind of a, historically a fascinating book. Um, it seems to not be addressed to a specific church. In, instead, it's written to a number of churches, which is different than any of Paul's letters. Obviously, Paul is focused specifically on cities where he's been. Where he's been. Uh, James is uh, kind of this new genre of writing, which is collective. Like the, the way that you would see this is like the revelation to John or first and second Peter, uh, Jude. They all have this different style of writing where you're writing to numerous churches uh, most scholars say that James is probably writing to the diaspora. Now, for those of you that might not know, the diaspora is what we call the dispersed. These are the ones that have left Jerusalem and have traveled a great distance away from the holy city. And the goal for them is uh, how do we bring everybody back to center, uh, which is impossible. And they know that like this, uh, you have 12 brothers, they like to fight. Now you have 12 tribes that also don't get along. So, yes. Um, dispersed uh, voluntarily or involuntarily? Most of it was voluntarily. Some of it was involuntarily because uh, they would be captured by a, a certain group of people and then drug to wherever the land was that um, had captured them. So uh, James is this fascinating thing. Interestingly enough, Jesus' name only appears twice in the whole book of James. Um, it's also written in a, a very elegant style of Greek, which is not normal. Uh, most of the stuff that we have is kind of common language Greek. Um, most, most scholars like to put this with the same folks that put together the Septuagint. So um, that matters. Um, the Septuagint is what we used to translate into the King James Version, which means that the Hebrew Bible was all translated into Greek, and the Septuagint had the Old Testament as Greek, not as in Hebrew. So for me, as a Hebrew scholar, I don't necessarily care about that, but for the New Testament, it works out really well because, and here's the part that's cool, it's one of the earlier texts collectively of Greek, which means that it's most likely closest to what, how they would have spoken. So the fact that James was written in that category or in that canon is really good Greek is what they would say. James is his brother. Well, so uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm sorry. Yeah, don't jump. <laughs> so, uh, so then there's this other thing that takes place about his, who, who is this James? Is this James, Jesus's brother? Or is it possibly James, the brother of John, the, the, the son of Zebedee? Um, there's a lot of speculation, but he kind of acknowledges the fact that he might be the brother of Jesus, uh, like he has personal one-on-one -on -one knowledge. And the reason I'm saying that is the church 
historically has said this is Jesus's brother, James. Um, we don't know why, other than the fact that he um, seems to be the source of moral virtue in the same way that Jesus would have been. Uh, big, big deal um, as far as that. And he receives this from God. Um, let's see. There was a few things that I wanted to point out, but like, let's just kind of outline it out a little bit. Um, it, it has eight sections. Uh, you know, you, it's, a, it's a letter. So he has, he has his basic salutation, ladies and gentlemen, so nice to hear you. And then uh, the second section is, is all focused in on faithfulness. This goes from chapter one, uh, verse two, all the way through chapter one, verse 19. And then the third section of James, we would call the true piety, uh, where you put the word into practice. So now there's a movement of the way, the first early century, where the way is moving into uh, practice, not just words. That starts chapter one, verse 19, and goes all the way to verse 22 uh, through, I mean, through verse 27. Then my favorite part, he does not like rich people, like in any way, shape or form. And his idea of rich people is just like we've been talking, you know, Roman rich. These are the people that do not pay attention to the ants moving the building, right? Like this is, this, this is James. Um, and, and he is just, he, he makes a, a very clear attack on the rich and, and the disregard for the poor this is most of all of chapter two. Um, and then you get to chapter three, which is now the uh, fifth section of the book of James. Um, so now, now that he has disregarded the rich and said, oh, you should be paying attention to the poor. He then says, it's really good for those of you that can keep your uh, tongues in your mouth. Don't, don't let them wag, right? So uh, even though I just did it, you should not do these things. Um, so this is the fifth section of the of James, which is chapter three, uh, all the way through chapter four, verse ten. And then my favorite part is is that he then reminds us of Sophia. Now this is the part that I'm. Once we get there, this is really cool. Sophia, remember, is the word wisdom. Um, this Sophia here is God's wisdom, which is uh, typically gender. Uh, in Greek, it's gendered uh, female, but that's that's not to say that God is just a woman. It's just there's this nurturing thing that takes place. And then what he says is it's very Jewish, choosing God's wisdom over Earth's wisdom, which we all, you know, you all have heard me preach a million times. Um, Probably, in my opinion, 95%, if not 100% of the New Testament is focusing in on how, as Jewish people, do we live our faith differently now? Um, and uh, it, it's, 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 it's a beautiful passage. And then this, the seventh section is, okay, now you need to be careful uh, now that we've had this conversation, it starts at chapter 4, verse 11, goes through chapter 5, verse 12. And then the, I will talk to you later and start building relationships is the end of the book of James. So 
Uh, it was funny that as we were talking, um, a lot of you have passages that are underlined in the book of James or highlighted. Uh, Cindy actually said the statement of uh, there's a lot of sermon topics that can come from the book of James. That's on purpose. Um, the, the book of James um, has, um, I think, has influenced the church more than any book in the New Testament other than the book of John. So John sets up the institution, the gospel of John. This is how we believe. And we don't really know what that means, right? Like, so the Trinitarian conversation. By the time we get to the Gospel of John, there's a conversation that God is in three parts. But we don't know what that means. James is written before this. And James has a lot of effect on the way that we think morals. Um, I would, would never say out loud, but just in our study, that James may have influenced influenced John, but I really see some of the the language, some of the conversations theologically from James in the Gospel of John, um, which is really kind of cool. I love the Book of James. Most this is the funniest part for me. Um, most people, for whatever reason, uh, that have any Scottish influence in them love the book of James because the Presbyterian culture, specifically Calvin, loves the book of James. And he focuses in on it a lot in a lot of his writings. Um, and so just coincidentally, any, anybody from the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, you know, all of a sudden you see Alexander Campbell has written all kinds of stuff about James because, again, he came from this Scottish Presbyterian uh, upbringing and all of a sudden you see how it changes our life and our existence. It's beautiful. Um, I do it because it's my, I think my dad probably preached from James uh, almost as much as he preached from the gospel of John. Um, and so, so I, I think it's kind of awesome that way. And my grandfather, uh, when I, I have his Bible in my office, but his book of James is highlighted and underlined and, you know, it's like, this is, this is it. My my grandfather always talks about uh, when he when he when he would, when he was alive. He would say something to the effect of, "When you're doing all of these things, he would ask, where is the logos?'" I'd be like, "Well, uh, and that's the word, a word of God." Um, and and he got a lot of his influence from this. So um, so let's just I'm gonna stop talking. Go for it, Robert. Sorry. Nope. You're good. My my commentary. Uh, states that uh, James is more focused on how we should live as opposed to the doctrine. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't mention the Holy Spirit at all in here, kind of what you're saying that right. before John. And it also says that he's really addressing, which kind of caught my eye because I'm always wondering, okay, when do Christians become Christians? He's addressing the Jewish community in most instances as they are moving towards Christianity. Mm -hmm. I mean, kind of, a, mm -hmm. kind of, okay. And then it also references that these are seven sermons. Yes. I mean, just to follow. I mean, I mean, it just, it says that's what, uh, why they're being written. But 
Also, if James is Jesus' brother, I don't picture him and I'm saying, or I don't see him being an eloquent writer. Right. I mean, and you mentioned eloquent, so he picked up a good scribe. He definitely had a really good scribe. Um, yes, Ted. Have you ever heard of a, a nickname that uh, John uh, James was known as? No. Uh, Camel Knees. Have you ever heard that before? I have not heard that uh, before. He's, he's called James the Pious. Pious. Oh, uh, sorry. Yes, I have heard this part. Okay. Because he, he was, would pray on his knees for so long, for such a long period of time, that his knees became calloused. Mm. And that's why he had the nickname Camel Knees. I also said he was in Jerusalem, and I hadn't ever thought about it, but most of these other people are traveling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, and this is a, this is a really fascinating book because of, of his piety, of his location, his geographic location. Um, it's really important to mention on the recording as well as in here that part of part of the struggle that we have is you all already have an understanding of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This group of people do not. So we we like to put our theology into this where it hasn't been fully developed yet so like 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 robert was saying the holy spirit conversation that that is not going to be in this discussion jesus is the person that is the image and then how do you live with that which is why i think james is so important right because we we take that stuff for granted i i hate to say this out loud but I think in the Christian church, disciples of Christ, we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Um, we've always, always had a problem with this. Um, we tend to think the Holy Spirit guides our minds more than our hearts. Um, and so for those that maybe speak in tongues, like they say in the gospel of Paul, we, we don't know how to process that. Because again, Holy Spirit to us is the in the Christian church, disciples of Christ, make sure I say that clearly is the guiding presence that allows us to think and to process and to, to be in this moment where <clears throat> in the time of James, that would have been freaky. Like, and the idea of speaking in tongues would have been freaky to James's church. Um, the, the idea of allowing the, the spirit to move you, just that language, like what? No, that's, that would be only like Old Testament prophets, like right, yeah. right, selected people. Exactly, and and even then, they didn't like look that. at they didn't look at it as it was a separate part of God. It was God breathing the words into this person. You know, uh, it's so I, I I just had to uh, beat that up a little bit more because why uh, your commentary is really good in that it 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 also takes it to another level for us as we read it because i think the part that's really cool and again this is just my own personal opinion is that i think james is more relatable than all the rest of them that we we get to and it's short and sweet well, one real quick last thought it said that in my commentary that james is more like proverbs yeah. than any other book in the bible and kind of leaning towards it's more of a not it's a new testament old testament book right i mean as, as opposed to, to 
I've heard it called the Proverbs of the New Testament before from a teacher or someone or book. But you know, I've read it before, but even going into it, I just like mindset that you know it's the way we should live. I mean, yep. My professors in seminary were, I think, a little bit more bitter than Ted's, but so James was always referred to as the addendum to the New Testament, and, which what within their minds was what we should have said was, and here it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so it should be right before Revelation. Yeah, right before Revelation. That's I think my professors would agree with you, and they, and what they would probably say is Revelation should have been at the beginning of New Testament. And we should have ended with the Gospel of John, you know. But uh, there's a little bit of bitterness, I think. Um, but they their their whole job is to to discuss and destroy. The next yeah. conclave, they can get together. Yeah, they can do that on their own. And and Luther didn't have a high opinion of this book. No, Luther really really struggled with uh, James. Um, well, mainly because it it, just, it doesn't have a trinitarian belief system and, and grace, and yeah, no yeah. grace is involved right. in this. Um, he also took out a bunch of a couple others that he didn't like. Also, in the in in his uh... he likes some better than others. <laughs> I guess we're kind of like that too sometimes. <laughs> he's he's good at that. I I mean I know I am I. James, I hold off until I need happy. And so it, the, the weather is changing. So I, I need happy. So uh, let's, let's, uh, if, if anybody has any more questions, comments, uh, then that we, we could start reading. The nice thing about this is we, we theoretically uh, could get this done in about four weeks, in theory. <laughs> so let's just begin. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's number one, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, a.k.a. the diaspora, greetings. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing, and if any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to you to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. But ask in faith, never doubting. The one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter becoming, being double-minded and unstable in every way must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Wow. <laughs> Uh, let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up and the rich in being brought low because the rich will dis disappear like a flower in the field for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. It is the same way with the rich in the midst of a busy life. They will wither away. Uh, that's I, I always looked at that as the strike one. Just so that you all know this. So if you're looking at this for the very first time, uh, what's the first thing that pops out in your mind as we're reading this?
I guess my mind goes towards uh, don't envy. I mean, okay. I mean, if they're if he's all of these, the rich, you know, will no longer be rich. I, I think he's driving towards heaven at the end, but yeah, don't seek your reward here. But and all the rich is bound to be able to use her still. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're still the ones. So, but on a side note, isn't that what if you say Jewish through the ages, weren't they the ones that generally had money? Bankers, loan. I mean, obviously these aren't, but our guys, our people. Not in the first century. Yeah. But that's generally, I'll say if I'll get some trouble, but that's. Martin Luther says this. Martin Luther says at some point that. Um, they are that way because God has blessed them. He starts off that way. And then he switches um, very quickly. And then what ends up happening is, is there's a um, a conversation that happens that becomes bad um, where Luther says that the reason that they have that ability is is because they know how to skip from the top like the Pharisees of old. And then what ends up happening is this culturally we see a shift from that where there are happens to be bankers that are Jewish and they are brought to light a lot over time and those that work with diamonds and things of that nature um, and it's used in such a way that is negative. So what I'm trying to say, Robert, without saying this is that that is not necessarily the case, but it, that is definitely something Christianity used against Jews for 700 years. So by the time you get to a gentleman in Germany, Adolf specifically attacking the ones that are wealthy in Germany and Austria also happen to be Jewish. That language then continues on. And in the United States, we did the same thing. I mean, we just, there's this, 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 uh, this is that phrase anti-Semitism and it comes from Luther. I guess I was Mine comes more from hysterical, 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 historical. I've seen, I mean, one thing that I really read and enjoyed that was about pirates of, uh, mm -hmm. and the pirates in the Mediterranean, Tripoli, uh, the Jews were the middlemen. Yes. In most instances, and those were the ones that money was going to and, be dispersed to the pirates. And it, it and it was coincidental. Yeah, I'm not. I'm just saying. That, yeah, but that's and, true. But and all I'm saying here is, is James is saying don't be like that, and our humanity gets in the way, and we end up being like that. Yeah, and I think, I think, uh, in the first century. Part of the struggle is, and, and you already know this, they don't have anything. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's none of what I'm saying applies to these people. Right. But it, it does apply over time historically with this particular culture where money is involved and where things are being used um, and there is a light shined on this particular culture for whatever reason. And that's not a detriment, though he says it is. It is a detriment. In, right. And I think in, in the, the part that's fascinating is it's like, for example, the, the, the pirates of the Mediterranean, historically, each of the places that had these uh, banks that happened to be run from Jewish cultures, they were part of the diaspora. So they were they stayed in the places they were dropped off. And they were the only ones that knew at that point still how to actually add, uh, subtract, and put things together. You'd look at it and you'd say, well, how much does it weigh? And, and the part that I'm saying, none of them were bad. They were like Switzerland. They were neutral. That's That's, it. That was why they were entrusted. They could move back and forth between the different groups. Sorry. The only thing I've contributed to this too is if if you are a culture or group of people that have in your history had to pick up and move more than once because of persecution, maybe you are more resourceful and hold on to uh, or, or you might be a little better with your resources than um, uh, a, a culture that didn't have to deal with persecution and being moved around or dispersed or, or whatever. Too. So, um, I've never liked, um, I mean, it, it sounds like a, a prejudicial statement to say a Jewish person is better with money or loves money more than someone who's not Jewish because pretty much everybody loves money. I mean, right. it comes down to well, hard, hard working would be hard working would be the stereotype that I have. Hardworking and I mean, and perseverance and those can lead to which is beautiful because then you can connect it to James, right? Like, because then at that point it goes, This is why we should oppose this social class. They did not work for this money, they are oppressing all of our people and the others around us. And now I see where we're connecting. So, so now we have this this view that James is looking and saying, that's not the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is we, we work together, we take care of one another, and there should not be an elevated social status of rich people that are not participating in God's work. Right off the bat, boom. Yeah. He's, he's, he's kicked them in the pants right out, out, the, out the back. You know, just this is what's going to happen. And then, which is beautiful, so now, now we have this really cool connection now. Uh, he, he, he warns them. Look at verse 12. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. See, that's, that's the connection I, I think that Robert was making here. Such a one has stood, is, am I close? Mm-hmm. Such a, as one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then what that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, 
of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I love that imagery, by the way. Um, in fulfillment, okay, so my translation has the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What is yours? Mine says, don't be fooled, friends. Every good and perfect gift comes from the father who created all the lights in the heavens. That's an interesting. Okay, that's not a gosh. Another shifting. Or... He is always the same and never makes dark shadows okay. by changing. Okay. He wanted us to be his own special people, and so he sent the true message to give us new birth. Interesting. In uh, so in your verse eighteen, did you go all the way through eighteen? Mm -hmm. So, like in mine, it says, "In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the." This is the logos of truth the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's a little bit different than uh -huh. your translation, like a lot. <laughs> what version do you have? I just thought it was the NIV. Contemporary English version. Well, that should be close. The book according to Tim. It's a book uh, according uh, to Tim. Uh, I like your book. You guys were talking, you were talking about all this and this is what I'm thinking. I am not an analytical banker because I'm not getting this. Yeah. <laughs> See, I've got one like this at home and that's the one that I've got all marked up. Uh -huh. And so I, I've got the same version as what Josh has now. So my, this one's not marked up, but word for word, mine is. Yeah. He's talking about a new kingdom here too. Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, something new is coming. We're building something new. Can you read your verse four again? Here's the beginning. Uh, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may become mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Was, the mature was the word that I had kind of picked up as a, as a theme, as first impressions as I'm reading about. Like, if you want to be mature, you, have to, you need to think about money this way you need to think about what you're going through this way this is how a mature uh, adult christian looks at things and things like that so um, this is i'm just giving my impressions this is almost like well i really want to grow well this might be a good letter for me to read because this guy's going to give me some advice about how to be mature yeah, he's very practical i think mature to me well looking at my version is being humble, you got to put your. If you have some money, you've got to be humble about it and not think too highly of it. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to verse 17 a little bit. For every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above. Um, this, this is a, is an, this is. I think this is Jesus' language, right? This is a generous act of giving. Um, this is a new concept for them. I want, I want you to think about what offering meant to this culture, right? This is a burnt offering. You gave temple tax. That was a, there was a money involved that you gave. Um, then there were offerings that you gave according to Leviticus and Deuteronomy um, to have your sin, your kata, forgiven, right? So everything above this, on the other hand, how do you acknowledge it? And James 
brings this out in such a way that I don't think anybody else does. Um, when we give above and beyond, that's the perfect gift. These others are obligatory. Um, and, and their idea, a tithe is obligatory. You have to do this. You burnt offerings, you have to do. The things that you do above that, on the other hand, that's to glorify God. That's, that's a, a perfect gift. This is a totally new concept. Uh, for us uh, in this generation today, I think that that makes more sense. But I think sometimes even then we think they're obligatory, right? Like we have to do these things because God expects us to. And we say that sometimes. I even hear myself saying it in stewardship statements like, we 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 give because we get to and or not, which i don't have a problem with but sometimes we'll say it in our mm-hmm. stewardship statements and because god expects us to give to others in the good way right that's not this this is be above and beyond and then that's why he has all this beautiful <laughs> flourish right after that uh with stars and lights and you know the good things are in the light and the bad things are in the shadows again. Does sound like John? Yeah, just a little. I like how you, you bring Christ into that. I had never read it like that. Um, and and Jesus was called the, the light of the world too. Right. 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 Now, my, uh, again, my commentary is a little bit more uh, biased. It's like, well, it's probably talking about the change of the moon and the phases. <laughs> but I, I, I really, I really think that um, there's a connection to heavenly bodies. At this point, Jesus is the heavenly body on earth, right? And so, in my opinion, he's the heavenly body on earth. And Jesus asks us to go above and beyond. This loving your neighbor as yourself language, right? That is beyond anything except for it's from Torah. It's full on from Torah. But to them, it's like it's, we've never heard this before. Yeah, you've only been talking about it for 2,000 years. I don't know. You said Jesus asked us it, and really Jesus showed us. Jesus shows us this. Yeah. And, and what does he do? It's all generosity, right? Everything he does is generosity. Here's James. This is what a generous act of giving is. Yeah, I'm not mentioning Jesus. would make sense to me if he is his brother. Right. Because he's speaking, you already know this. I mean, constantly. Yeah. I, I know this, you know this, I'm sure this would be, you know, I'm almost not using him as an authoritative figure to reinforce what I'm saying because you already know all this. I, I'm speaking with the other writers. You know, mm-hmm. they they will use Jesus or God uh, to reinforce what they're saying. And he's writing. Y'all already know this. So now I'm telling you what this means. I mean, I heard it from Jesus. I'm just repeating what he's saying. And I'm not going to give him credit for it. I'm just gonna... Right. <laughs> it's a very good institute. Uh, wait, look at this. I'm not, I don't have to claim Jesus. I'm a follower of his. Or I'm his brother. And I already know these things. You should too. Well, Jesus already had it put it out there. Right. And he's just, to me, kind of... Um... Showing how to put your faith in practice. Yeah. And, and I'm saying all that. You know, how to use it. He starts right off at the beginning. First thing he says, 
because I'm a servant of God and, and Jesus. That's right. He's made that statement, but I'm, I'm just saying, I think his writing is like, you know, I was right there when he said it. Mm -hmm. And y'all know who I am. I already told you. Which I think, was, yeah. I mean, yeah. Which also puts it in the same category as to say it could have been written at the same time of Paul's life. Because the language sounds the same. I, Paul, the apostle chosen by God through Jesus Christ to teach you, blah, 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 blah. So it gives also some credence to the timeline, which, like you're saying, it's totally possible that this person could have seen or participated and witnessed all of these things that Jesus had done. I'm just saying, it sounds like he's close. No, it not, definitely it sounds like he's close. That's not, on purpose. Not several or a couple generations removed. Right. And, 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 it, and you notice it's so cool that you caught that because one of the things that you're going to see as we go through this is there's not a devastation to his praying or his writing, right? When you read the Gospels, this is definitely written out of pain. We want to talk about Jesus's love and affection because we've lost everything. James has not lost anything yet. And you can tell just, just by the conversation. So the temple hasn't been destroyed. Um, as we get further on it, you'll, you'll see that like, no, it's, it's still alive and well in their life. And so you, again, I'm 100% I'm with you. It, it gives you more credence to how do we deal with the in-between? Like, here we are today. We're not Jewish. We don't have a temple. What is it that we do? I think James is, works well for us in that way. Sorry, I keep grabbing my shoulder. Um, I think James works well for us that way because of the timeline of when it was written. Um, I want to keep going. I'm going to finish chapter one today. I think we can. This next part is going to be a good conversation, I think. Um, so you must understand this, my beloved. Um, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourself of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted logos the word that has the power to save your souls this is different because now we have a conversation of souls which i'll come back to but be doers of the word again logos this is where my grandfather was very adamant but be doers of the logos and not merely hearers who deceive themselves or if any are hearers of the word and not doers they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like but those who look into the perfect law the law of liberty and persevere being not hearers who forget but doers who act they will be blessed in their doing if any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts. Their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. 
So what does he say? There's a lot worth underlining and all that. <laughs> yeah. My, my uh, commentary literally has it wrote down. Boom, 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 <laughs> boom, boom. You just can't help but think sometimes, like, if people really did this, what the world would be like. If right. If people just held their tongue and controlled their <laughs> anger, what a better world this would be for everybody. And that's just my kind of universal application to it. Mm -hmm. You just got to shut up and listen a lot of times. <laughs> well, he says it right off the bat. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Yeah, right mm -hmm. off the bat. I also, my interpretation is it doesn't do you any good to go to the temple if you don't live in, I'm going to switch here, but, but a Christian life. You don't follow or do what Jesus says. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do me any good to come and listen to Josh preach right. if I don't do anything with what I'm hearing and what I've learned. You know, you may look good in the pew, but it doesn't do you any good if you don't go out and practice I think the word doer has a lot of power behind this section because it is what it's, it's meant to be. You know, we are supposed to go out. I'm like Robert. How good is it to just sit and listen if we don't go out and carry the message with us? 22. Exactly. Do what it says. It's what it, mm -hmm. And Josh, you say it sometimes at the end in the benediction that uh, as you leave here, this is when mm -hmm. the service begins. Yeah. yeah. It's not my statement. I just got to make sure I give that credit on the recording. I did not yeah. come up with that phrase. But, right. Yeah. <laughs> but I believe it. 100%. So it is. It is. What we do from Sunday to Sunday. And that's what a lot of times on the weekend before Sunday, I reflect back to what I did that week. If I, you know, did things to offend people or if I did things to help people, I kind of give myself a score. Grade <laughs> 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 myself. And I improve in some places <laughs> where, you know, yeah. So, and, and we've kind of had this discussion before, Josh, but what are our orphans and widows in today's world? Because they would have been a, a little bit different back then. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, just culturally. Not that there were not both entities, mm -hmm. but, you know, the orphans and widows had no one. I mean, or at least widows can, you know, in in our culture, they're the same as men. They can own land, they can do this, they can do that. They're not just thrown outside the gates, but good luck. I so I think part of the so just because of the recording, I want to make sure I say this and then and then answer the question. So I think the 21st century lens that we look at, especially in the United States, it's really hard for us to relate to this language because of the phrase widows and orphans, because in, 
our world, we think everybody has everything. Because, you know, in the United States, there's availability for help, in theory, to every human being in the, state, in the country. I mean, there really is. Should it should, should have access. Or, and if they don't have access, then we should be able to help find that access for them. So I have to say that for the recording, right? The other part of this on the recording that I, I want to make sure I say is, is that I don't think the widows and orphans have changed. I think some of the under the most underserved people in communities are uh, well because it, it's just the name that we've given them are senior citizens, um, widows, widowers. Uh, I think that we really do a disservice in the name of God for them, and it really I really struggle with this because you know like after during the pandemic, one of the things that I always struggled with visitation. I always did. It's not that I didn't like it. It's just that I, I don't ever know exactly what I'm supposed to say. So like I go, I go visit somebody in the nursing home and I'm like, how's it going? They don't teach you this in seminary, right? Uh, like they, they don't care that I know how to speak Hebrew or read Greek, right? Like they don't, they don't care about they, that. They don't have the Greek handbook. Right, right. Translate this. Right. And, and most of the time, so I go and I just sit down and start talking, you know? And I, I enjoyed that part. And they would just ask questions like what's going on in church. And I, I found out eventually that I was their only voice to the outside world. Mm -hmm. And so that's the only person that they're getting to talk to besides the people working with them in the nursing home. But why is it only just the preacher that was doing it? Mm -hmm. So there's that. And the second part of that then becomes, well, what are those that are not in the nursing home? Those that are shut in at home. Mm -hmm. And they really don't have anybody coming to see them. They don't have family that are coming in to drive into Perry to come see them. So then the pandemic happened. And we couldn't see anybody physically. And they were not and did not have technology available. There was six months that I didn't get to see or talk to anybody physically uh, that I normally would have seen at least once every other month. Galen Sandy was the only person that I talked to on the phone during the pandemic because he still kept his cell phone on. Um, Colleen Robinson, you all know, didn't ever answer the phone in the first place. So I never <laughs> got to see her. So like, you know, so like there's this list of people that we should be taking care of. Mm -hmm. And then there's another part to this that I'm, I, I hesitate to say it, but it's, it's a real thing especially in the state of Oklahoma those that have um, that are in foster care those that are in the uh, adoption process you know we still have the highest rate of children in the nation of kids in foster care um, and I think it's the church's responsibility to take care of that my mom and dad lived that with adopting my sister's uh, and it was hard because then when Carmen and I are faced with do we do we do this? It's like nah, nah we can help other people. You know, it's it's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, I, I was going. It's because my daughter, but I know that Oklahoma does not do as well as a lot of the other states with. Uh, people with mental issues. Oh yeah, that's another one. I mean, yeah. she 
she moved from here to Maine, and there's just a world of difference. And just, you know, I just use for access, even having the anything there for them. Yeah, we have very little access for people that are mentally disabled. Um, and I mean that sincerely. We have we have three facilities <clears throat> that have a hundred and eighty person waiting list on it to help people that are in desperate need of mental health care. So why is that? Well, What's without getting on, without getting on the the political political yeah. stance, we cut the funding of all of those things. We did, and it was, and it just kind of happened, and nobody saw it coming. It just it was a blanket decision. It's like the the blanket decision to uh, close most of the buildings for DHS during the pandemic and make them work from home. Like that's, so social workers are having to do all of their work from home. And a lot of these people you don't want coming to your home, right? You know? Uh, well, you couldn't have them come to your home either. Right, no. Yeah, which is right. But now we didn't give them back their offices. No. So now we don't know what to do. So there's, there's, a, there's a money issue um, and there's the, the other issue, and I and I don't mean to say this flippantly. I remember growing up in Oklahoma with this phrase: "I don't need to see a therapist because I'm not crazy. Uh, I don't need health care, mental health care, because there's nothing wrong with me." And there's a there's a stigma in the state of Oklahoma. I call it the John Wayne syndrome, <laughs> that says that. For some reason, I'm okay, and I don't have to cry. But if I do cry, nobody's going to see me. Um, and that is a real, real scenario. So I know that was a long answer to your question, Robert, but it is a real thing in our culture today. Well, I don't think people understand mental illness to be anything from anxiety, right. depression, clear to severe, profound. That's right. And unfortunately, if we have severe, profound kiddos in the school system, and they're just not a really good fit anymore, the ne their next step is billings, mm -hmm. and that's sad. Well, that in the school, the school counselor is uh, has become much more interested in helping the upper ten percent of the class get scholarships spends their time getting scholarships than helping the lower face life. I understand. But we've we've created that system. Yes. yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well and I didn't want to again chase a different rabbit, but I think that is now, the trail. <laughs> I was gonna say, you know, it's calling us out to do something. Yeah. And you know it's and, and we I know you tried to get us to do it, you know, and we have our yearly lock-in where we try to identify different things, but we just need to identify them. I mean, you know, and, and all, I'm, all I was doing is, you know, I think we're better off with our orphans and widows than they were back then. So we are, you know, who, who, do, <laughs> who do we need to be addressing now? You know, I mean, and, and better off is, is for them. I mean, I'm just comparing back then where yeah. they didn't have anything as opposed to it may not and really no rights to yeah. out, get out and do yeah. anything we're, we're, for themselves. But that doesn't mean that there isn't, and I'm just I'm now I'm using that term to address 
whoever we need to be yep. looking for. Right. Yep. And I think that's just that was they could identify then that was who was really needing to be helped. But and that says keep us ourselves being polluted by the world. Yeah. <laughs> In the 90s, I worked for five years at a children's home. Uh, was a was a case manager basically for about 30 children. And the overwhelming majority of those children in the orphanage were not true orphans, but they were abandoned either by their parents who had drug issues, um, you know, were running a crack house and their kids got taken away or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, so orphan certainly doesn't just mean that your parents are alive, but but it does mean abandoned. I think abandoned is kind of a good word too for yes. for all of those people who are lost, who are the least. And who have who have been abandoned um, by our world, or or by you know sometimes families abandon people that are close to them. It's not easy. I mean, these aren't easy situations. Sometimes it's because a family's been abused by the person, the, or, or the majority of them in Oklahoma are in that category. Mm -hmm. Yes. Cool. Well, I've got a question about our Wednesday afternoon youth program. Mm -hmm. Um. Do you and do you know the percentage of those that are coming to our youth program yet? Is it too soon to know how many of those are unchurched or? Uh, it's it's kind of hard to tell um, because Perry is a bubble. I have come to find out. Our churches are very involved with the kids in our community, so that we we all kind of joke about it we all have joint custody of a lot of these kids so some of them go to church with them on sunday some of them come to us on wednesday afternoon and then they'll go to another church right after us and so we all kind of share these kids which is kind of beautiful um i think that's part of the reason that the things that we do well in the ministry alliances is that we really want to try to help all of these kids so when i say unchurched they're exposed to a lot of ways of hearing about Jesus. Um, and, and we try really hard to make that available. Yeah, I can remember when I used to do more, well, anything now, but with the youth, like I said, they would go, they would leave here, and some of them we'd get on the bus and we'd drop them off at the Baptist church. Yep, still happening. Still happening. And, and I think this is a perfect example of being hearers and doers of the word. Uh, in Perry, and we try very hard to do that. I don't know if you all did that in the past, but I do know that since I've been here, that's been something that has been very prevalent with them. I think it was like more of a, a permission receiving. We should be doing this. Oh yeah, we should. So then why are we not? I don't know. Okay, let's go. And then that's just kind of how it went. Um, so I think we're gonna we're gonna stop the recording here, uh, and we'll start with chapter two next week. Um, uh, just a few things that I, I want to point out is before we begin, uh, before we end, is just that uh, it's it's really important to recognize uh, for even those on our recording and those that are in here in person that uh, it's very easy for us to relate to the book of James because they're dealing with the same cultural things that we do today that is not um, a new idea right like it's I think this is part of the beautiful part of the study this way is is that um, 
we're not trying to say that this is only talking about us, that somehow this book of James has transcended time for every generation afterwards. Um, and all the rest of the Bible for that matter. But for this, it transcends all of those generations and challenges us to be uh, more like Christ. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording.